I was in Maritzburg this week from Monday afternoon till Thursday evening, but I caught a plane and managed to uh, get to Cape Town just before sunset. And as we flew over the Worcester area coming through past Franschhoek, I looked out of the window because I took a window seat, unusual for me, and <clears throat> I saw the reflection of the sunset in so many little farm dams that were full. And I'm reminded of the fact that uh, Uncle Angus came to Parliament in February last year, and he said, by the end of March, the dams will be full. And I really believe for that, with the rains that we've had, that the dams will be nearly full. I haven't seen the figures, but uh, sometimes I think that we have to trust in the word of the Lord a little bit more than the figures. I'm going to lower it. Is that okay? Okay. As I was looking there, I felt the anointing of the Lord come upon me like I did in 2009 before I joined the Bay. And we were in a meeting in Glenridge, Durban. And I'd gone along because Dawn and her uh, almost lifelong intercessor friend, a prophetic lady that has traveled to 17 nations to do prayer walks uh, with no financial support other than the invisible support of the Lord, sometimes her unsaved and sometimes quite ungodly man, husband, would ask her where she's got to go and would pay the way. But the Lord sent her to nations and she's opened up nations in intercession. Well, Dawn and Krista uh, decided they wanted to go to this conference at Glenridge and I tagged along for the nice holiday in Durban for a week. And I went there and uh, Randy Clark was ministering and surprised Sotoli. If you've ever heard of Surprise Sistoli, he's a great guy. We made a good connection. And um, I'll repeat this just to put it into context. Paul the Apostle talks about a stewardship in Colossians 1, where he says, I became a minister of his church. For Christ, according to the stewardship that from God, which was given to me for you. The word stewardship indicates that He gave you the keys to the door to look after the storehouse. And I'd had a measure of that with the Signs and Wonders ministry for many years, from 1881. Until about 2000 until I went into a time of isolation and then I came to this church and I must be honest with you a couple of years ago I started saying it but I eventually got the courage to say it to Sheldon that the faith in this church is not one where the people have faith to receive they have faith, which is based on an evangelical reformed theology gospel, where God is almighty, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, 
omniscient, but God is sovereign. And they forget that the Lord Jesus is seated on the throne right now. The man, Christ Jesus, filled with the fullness of the Godhead, is standing on the throne. And that the scripture says that he is the prototype and stands before the father and says, Father, here I am and the sons or brothers that you have given me. And Isaiah 9, 6 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called. Wonderful, counselors, everlasting father. How does a baby boy become the everlasting father? By the restoration of the glory that he left behind to become a child. He put aside his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his uh, omnipotence, confined himself to take on our human frame and to bring the divine nature back into humanity that Adam lost, and so when Adam sinned, lost the glory. That's why the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have not reached the mark of the glory of God with which Adam was created and which Christ wants to restore. So the Reformed evangelical theology does not have the faith to stand and to speak miracles, though we speak often and declare it because of a missing dimension. After experiencing the anointing for miracles and healings and praise and worship and prophecy and speaking things into being and stopping rain, hailstorms and storms and stopping things like that, in my own experience of faith and moving and knowing the Spirit. I received my baptism of fire in 2009, and that anointing never left me for months. And to this day, I feel the reflections of that anointing with fire on my head like I feel it right now. Every time I speak to somebody a testimony or pray for somebody, I get that. And when I came back on Thursday night in the plane, I felt that anointing in the same measure of power as I felt in 2009. And the Lord said to me, he is restoring the anointing to his people. Because you see, it takes a critical mass of people that choose to believe God together in unity that the Lord entrusts the stewardship. The gospel is taking right right around the world to fulfill Matthew 24. This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all nations and then the end shall come. But Paul in Romans 15 says, I have fully preached the gospel. In deeds, the things that I've done, where I've gone, where I've been, who I've spoken to, how I've handled persecution, how I've handled beatings, how I've handled shipwreck, all of those things. He says, I've done all of those things. I have fully preached the gospel in how I've done it and how I've preached it in word. And then he says, in mighty signs and wonders. You have not fully preached the gospel of the kingdom unless you've got the 
gospel that is a message that changes people's lives and brings them into the same faith that you got to have God confirm your word with signs following. Mark 16. They went everywhere preaching the gospel and God confirmed what they said with signs following. A miracle is an intervention in creation and changing the laws of creation to show the glory of Jesus in healing people, in raising the cripples. Two paralyzed people, one totally paralyzed down his right side after an operation putting stents into his, uh, uh, I think they call it carotid arteries. Left paralyzed down the right side. The Lord used a young disciple friend of mine and myself to go not knowing what God would do, but speaking to him, Eric Kuhn, couldn't speak, mouth drooping, spittle coming out over out of his mouth, no control. And the Lord raised him. I said, Eric, the next time I see you, I'll see you in church. He came in a wheelchair the next Sunday. I spoke to him, Eric, the next time I see you, I'll see you walking. He came next Sunday walking with a walking stick. The next, so I said to him, Eric, the next time I see you, you'll be walking without the walking stick. And Eric walked. Two weeks after I first saw him, without a wheelchair, yeah, without, because yeah. there is an authority yeah. if you catch this dimension. The dimension is yeah. Christ yeah. in you, yeah. the hope yeah. of glory. Yeah. Our gospel is not in word yeah. because the kingdom is not just in word, it's in power. And the Lord has changed the culture of this church and is changing it more rapidly in the last year than ever before. It's wonderful when we prepare ourselves in praise and worship and the Spirit moves in and does things sovereignly. It's wonderful. That's a confirmation that His Word is still true. And it gives us encouragement and faith to believe God. But when you're in the storm, like the disciples were. We so often think we've got to find people to pray for us to stop the storm. Paul, let me read on in Colossians 1. And he says, The stewardship that God gave to me was to fulfill the word of God. That means to become a living demonstration. So Paul, he's in the shipwreck. Acts 27. He was the prisoner. The reason they were sailing together was a centurion, a captain of a thousand at least soldiers, had the responsibility to deliver Saul to Rome from Caesarea, the port on the coast of Israel. And they journeyed and came to a place where they didn't want to stay for the winter, but the storms were starting to rage for the winter. They took out on a calm wind and hit the biggest storm that ever experienced so that the sailors were frightened. They wanted to escape with the skip, and they, they couldn't. They eventually cut the skip loose, the, uh, the little dinghy that they tow behind a boat. There, the storm was so violent that the, the, the timbers of the ship were starting to part and let the water in. They passed cables over the prow of the ship to tie the, stri- the, the wood together, to tie the, the strips of wood together so that it wouldn't leak. They eventually started throwing the tackle of the ship out to lighten it so that it would... There were 276 people on that ship. 
Paul had warned them that they should not sail. The centurion was anxious to get to Rome and they'd sailed in calm seas and they hit this tempest and Paul had warned them, he said, I foresee that we shall strike disaster if you sail now and we shall lose the ship and the lives of everyone. Now they're in the storm. And then Paul comes out of his prayer closet. And he says, Gentlemen, you should have listened to me. However, not one life will be lost. That's the good news. But we'll lose the ship. That's the bad news. For this night, an angel of God stood by me and told me this. Not one life shall be lost. And then he says, I believe God that it shall be as I was told. What have you been told about the gospel? What have you been told about the gospel? Have you been told that God doesn't always heal everybody? Have you been told that God is sovereign, so you just got to carry on like this, and eventually you'll get to heaven one day? There are many people that experienced that in the Old Testament that were heroes of faith. He'd read it in Hebrews 11. It says that the, the champions, talks about the champions, the, the, the hero gallery of faith is Hebrews 11 from the Old Testament. Great champions of faith. And then it says, and there were others that didn't receive deliverance. They were sawn in two. They were martyred. These all, including the previous ones, died in faith, not having received the promise. What was the promise? That God is going to build a people who will show forth his glory like no other generation could. This same Paul has prayed because the Lord told him he's got to go to Rome. So he prayed... And he told them not one life shall be lost because God has given your lives into my hands. I thought he was the prisoner. His life was in their hands. We're talking about a different dimension. We're talking about a different substance. We're not talking about a faith that is intellectual and agreement with our mouths. We're not talking about a faith that even the faith, word of faith people talked about when they started to say that faith comes by confessing the word. And if you confess it enough, it'll drop from your head to your heart. I'm saying this faith is not that kind of self-building up into faith with your mind. Because faith is a spiritual substance that comes by the filling of your heart with the spirit of faith that is the same spirit that is in Jesus on this road. Have you got the spirit of faith? Paul, this is the same man who when he went to Lystra after meeting Jesus, Jesus stopped him in his tracks because he was on the hunt for Christians. He was a murderer of Christians with authority from the Sanhedrin. He voted to kill and to stone and kill Stephen. He was the one that had a vendetta against these these, um, heretics 
called Christians, well, not called Christians in those days, that were followers of Christ. And he was hauling them to the courts, getting the, the verdict to stone them and killing them, executing them. He was on his way to Damascus, meets Jesus person to person, and Jesus tells him, I've got many things that you will do. He's struck blind. Ananias comes to pray for him three days later, and the scales fall from his eyes. He's baptized in the Spirit, and suddenly he becomes a convert to Christ and preaches the gospel. This man eventually sent out by the Holy Spirit from Acts 13 in the church at Antioch. He's sent out. He goes to Lystra. When he's in Lystra, he preaches the gospel, gets converts, and then some Jews from the other city that are pursuing him come and they stone him and leave him for dead on the ground. The little home group of converts gather around him and pray. He rises up and walks into the city, and the very next morning, after a good night's sleep, he walks to the next city with the gospel. That is the spirit of the resurrected one that gives life to our mortal body. That's why he could write in Romans 11, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your physical body. That is what we need for miracles and healings. And our minds are in the way. God's changing the culture of this church because there are people here that are receiving with mustard seed faith. But there are some of you that must become stewards because if you're not a steward, he cannot send you with that kind of authority. You can carry the gospel as a message. You can carry what you've heard. There's a difference when you experience the power of God working through your hands, working through your eyes. Working through your mouth. There's a difference. Not all Christians operate in the same position. We have the same position relationally through salvation. And our Father is Father of us all. And our Lord Jesus is the Lord of us all. And the brother of us all. But many of us need to develop our heart fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And you can't do that while having mixture in your heart or your mind. Paul, the ship is wrecked on the beaches of Malta. Not one life is lost. The locals prepare a fire. Paul goes to the fire when he's getting low, picks up from the wood pile a bunch of sticks, throws it in, and as the wood leaves his hand, a viper in the sticks attaches on his hand. The locals look at it, recognize the snake. They say, this man must have done some great wrong. He escaped death in the sea, and now this has come to judge him. They watched and waited to see him bloat up, turn blue, and keel over. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. What are we talking about? We're talking about a man who had discovered the mystery. A man in Christ with Christ in him. The glory is a woman in Christ with Christ in her. The glory is a man in Christ with Christ in him. The glory is what Jesus actually prayed for, John 17. It's got nothing to do with unity of the saints in the church. 
It's got everything to do of Jesus in his relationship with his Father. I in you and you in me and I in them and them in me. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. A man in Christ with Christ in him. He preached the gospel. Their opinion changed when they saw that the poisonous viper couldn't kill him. Sort of fulfilled the part of Mark 16 that the theologians have taken out. Check it out in your Bible in the margin. Say this, this little text in Matthew in Mark 16 was not in the uh, majority of texts that were extant. The word extant means still survived. Okay. The theologians have given us Bibles where they've taken out. In fact, the Revised Standard Version took out more changes in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ and His deity as the Son of God. The revised standard version that was actually scripted by intellectual theologians that were spiritists, and they produced the revised standard version with more changes than the Jehovah's Witnesses made to our Bible. And that's the, the root research that started the trend of the intellectuals that infiltrated the church in the 1700s and the 1800s, and that's why the Lord said, enough of this, we're going to have to pour out the Holy Spirit in revival power from the early 1900s, and you and I are the fruit of what God has been doing since the 1900s. I want to go all the way with God. Do you? Amen. I want to be a man of man in Christ, with Christ in him. That's the story. That's the story. So, as we were worshipping, I felt the anointing on my hands. And I said, Lord, what is this? I get the anointing on my hands when there's an anointing to heal or to impart something. Because I know that there is a difference in people that pray in faith in the word only. And those that have got the anointing to release healing. Okay? But this was different because I felt as if there was a cloth draped over this wrist and over that wrist hanging on both sides. I felt, I said, what is this, Lord? Is it a mantle? <laughs> <laughs> is this a mantle? And then he reminded me, yes, it is a mantle, but this is what Jesus did in John 13. He knelt down. He, first he got up. He took his garments off, and then he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. And then he took a basin of water, and he washed the feet of the disciples. I want to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? There's a difference between being a convert that is converted in your mind. There's a difference between a convert being a believer where you believe the word of God and it starts working in you. And there's a difference between a believer and a disciple. A disciple is someone who's totally devoted to be obedient to Christ and to submit to what he's doing in his ecclesia and learn how you fit in different levels of maturity. Discipleship training is not just brainwashing of what we believe. It's like giving people colored glasses to look at them the way that we look. Disciple is someone that's totally devoted and led to the point 
where I have done enough for that person to be discipled to Christ by the Holy Spirit for the rest of their lives. But Jesus took the basin and took the towel, washed their feet, and then he took the towel and he dried their feet. And this is what the Lord explained to me after I saw that vision, because I saw it happening after I felt that mantle. He said, I wash my bride with the word. And this is what I want you to do, to wash them with the word. And then Jesus would take the towel to dry their feet. And I understood that the Lord wants to use that opportunity to prepare your feet with the preparation of the gospel of shalom. Not just peace, the absence of war. Not just peace, the absence of uh, turmoil or the absence of fear or the absence of depression. Shalom in Hebrew means the prosperity of God be upon you. It's full provision. His living manifestation of Jehovah being all that he is. Jehovah Tzitkanu, my righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, Jeho- uh, my shepherd. Jehovah Ra, sorry, Jehovah Ra is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Jehovah, the one that is present. The, the one that uh, is fighting for you. The one that draws you close. The one that wants to fill you. And Jesus is the manifestation of Yeshua, the one who is the Savior, to bring that shalom. I want to ask you right now, just to stay in your seats, we're going to pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit that is in this room should give a witness to you that you are called, that one day you will be a steward. Let me tell you that the songs that say, I am no longer a slave, I'm a son, are right in our relationship with God. But you're wrong if you get the impression that you no longer have to be a servant. Even the apostles of Christ talked about themselves being bond slaves to Christ. Or being servants, deacons to the church, servants to the church. So servanthood is a lesson that you will learn when you are promoted in the kingdom. So I want to ask you to just wait on the Spirit now. Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to come and to put a seal. There's a group that's going to minister in Japan. I'm asking that the Lord will put on some of you as leaders the anointing of the baptism of fire so that you will actually be like Peter and John at the the uh, the gate of the, uh, the beautiful gate of the temple where they said we haven't got silver and gold but we have got something to give you and then step back and give them the the conversion message no they took out their hands and they lifted him and the lame man began to walk because they gave him the substance of the resurrection spirit that was in them and the spirit of faith that was in them. They gave that to the crippled man. That was a better message than any one of them could have preached in, on that day. I ask for that, that the Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll come upon your servants. There are servants here that have, uh, have been in storms. They've been uh, 
They've been trapped in places where it's like snake pits wanting to bite them in the spirit. And even snake pits in the situations where people have pressurized them with false accusations and um, persecution and ridicule, spoken evil against them. There are people here whose lives have been broken and yet they've remained faithful to you in every tribulation, in every persecution, in every circumstance where they've been closed in. Some have been isolated, almost as if they were in caves, having to live only them believing God in their own family, and all, or only them believing God in the place where they are. People that have been in churches where they've had doctrines of demons preached to confirm unbelief in the minds of the disciples there. I ask you, Lord, for people that have been in that situation, say, there must be more. And their heart has reached out to say, Lord, show me, where is the more? It's not what I read in your word in the scriptures. This is not what is in your word in the scriptures. Those people who've been on their own, isolated, and say, Lord, show me how to break out. I want to ask the Lord to put his anointing on you here today. Because if our Christianity produces middle-class Christians that don't change the world, Jesus will not leave his throne in this generation to come again. Peter said that in Romans in Acts 3.21. But he's going to do a quick work if he can find stewards. If he can find stewards that will receive his anointing and say... Yes, Lord, here am I. Send me. If you're one of those, I want you to stand right now. I'm not asking for converts to Christ. I'm asking for people that have a desire to be used by God and have a confirmation of the anointing upon their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we are about to receive an offering. Father, I stand before you in your presence before your throne. And I say to you, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are standing here with us. And you are saying to the Father, Father, here I am. And the brethren, the brothers, the sons that you have given me. Don't feel that the ladies are left out because the father just uses the word sons, a title of sons for all of us, because he sees all of us as having the same authority as his son in our situation. He uses the term son to be a relationship where he trusts his divine authority to the son. And he wants every one of us to grow up to be sons that can manifest Christ with his authority. So I'm, I, I see the Lord Jesus speaking to the Father and saying, Here I am, Father, and the sons that you have given me. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, will you just seal every single one of these dear ones? Because the offering that you are receiving now is the offering of lives dependent on you, devoted to you, totally surrendered to you, willing to be a living sacrifice every step of the way, everywhere you lead them, everywhere they go with you. They're going to fulfill that great song. Where he leads me, I will follow.
<laughs> Hallelujah. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I ask you from today that you will begin to release the baptism of fire on these dear ones and call them to those moments of intimacy where they will begin to know you. And they will not just be like the preachers who use the word God speaking about you, Lord Jesus, or God speaking about you, Father, or God meaning you, Holy Spirit. They will actually have such a real experience of relationship with you, Father, that they will want to honor you with your name. Amen. And a relationship with you, Lord Jesus, that they will want to honor you with your name and not just say, the Lord Jesus or the Lord, but they will honor you when they speak your name and when they speak about you, Holy Spirit. You will not just be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Hallelujah. You are the Spirit of Christ. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.